Hello and welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is actually going to be a little bit of a bonus episode then, as promised, because I uh, I was ill last week and wasn't able to get another episode out. So I thought, do a bit of a cheeky bonus for you. So this one is maybe a bit shorter than usual. We'll see how that goes. But I just wanted to go into a couple of bits and pieces that uh, I have uh, been sent in essentially by... Uh, listeners I, I do get videos sent in and people's accounts and i absolutely love hearing from people by the way so um if you send me an email i bear in mind i do get quite a lot of them these days so i can't always necessarily reply to every video uh, every every email that people send in but i i read everything and uh, I, I find it absolutely fascinating i mean i get people from all over the world from the united states from uh, i got an email from somebody in africa recently uh, australia it absolutely blows my mind and what what really amazes me is the the sheer detail that people go into about unambiguous ufo sightings now bearing in mind i'm talking about unambiguous sightings there are plenty of other videos that i get sent which again you know could be very interesting of lights in the sky you know distant objects and which are you know by nature quite blurry and still some of those are absolutely fascinating as well but what really amazes me is the the amount of reports of people who generally don't want to be on the podcast or in the public eye or even have the story go public you know people will email me and say look you know this thing happened i just wanted to get it off my chest but i'd rather you don't mention it on the podcast or whatever you know and in some cases very very detailed accounts of you know people who just lead normal lives just want to get up go to work earn the wage go home and have a nice evening they don't want all the hassle of being you know in the ufo community and we, we you know we know people like alex dietrich you know a, a fighter pilot who was present for the the nimitz tic tac incident she's had a very mixed experience you know she's had people phoning up her place of work and trying to get in touch with her and you know people mailing her home address you know with questions about the incident not everybody wants that at the end of the day it's it's quite a i think alex dietrich has had a pleasant experience in some regards as well you know like people kind of rallying around and uh, you know whenever there's been anything going on but at the same time, it's a mixed bag going public with a UFO story. The stigma is probably less than it was historically over the last decades, but it's still there's still a lot of people don't want that attention. Basically, is what I'm saying, and and some people just like to live quiet lives. They don't necessarily want to have have people aware of them and things like that, you know, which is which is fine and completely understandable. But what really amazes me is that some of those people are telling me about things that are completely unambiguous sightings you know the types of things where we're talking about um somebody and i won't go into too many details on this or mention the name but i heard recently about a, a, a black triangle sighting which literally flew over somebody's house in you know 60 feet above the house a, a clear black triangle the size of a super supermarket car park an enormous silent black triangle floating over your house very slowly. I, I, I find it pretty difficult to imagine that that could be a misidentification. Like what could that actually be? 
you know, something so close that you can literally see the, the actual texture of the material that it's made from. And a, a number of other uh, cases very similar to that as well, particularly, I mean, the triangles is something that I find really fascinating. So if anybody has had a sighting of a triangle, and uh, especially if you've got any, uh, even better if you've got pictures or videos and things like that, um, I, I would love to hear it. So please do get in touch with me. But as I say, it, it has been mind blowing to to hear about these completely unambiguous sightings, which could not be birds. It could not be, you know. But the problem with those sightings is, what can you actually do with it? I can repeat the story, and it's a fascinating account. But unless you've got some kind of, you know footage or photograph or even multiple witnesses it, it, it's difficult to actually go beyond a really interesting account and, and i'll be honest in a lot of cases especially the ones i was talking to you about just then people go into a lot of detail in, in emails and things like that about why they don't want to come forward and there seems to be a genuine um hesitance hesitancy to, to actually you know, be in the public eye, well, why on earth would they want to tell a story like that if it wasn't true? They're not actually looking for any kind of attention. They're not looking for any financial gain. What would be the point? And one of the main reasons they don't want to come forward in a lot of cases because they fear ridicule from people that they work with and so on. I mean, nobody wants to be known as the, the UFO guy from in the workplace, do they? Especially with the, the attitudes that a lot of people who are not interested in this topic actually have. Um, but my, my point is, is that why would people want to make up something like that? Especially when they claim that it's profoundly affected them. I suppose you could make a whole argument about what exactly they did experience. You know, did they? Is it some kind of extraterrestrial craft? Is it some mental phenomena? Is it some kind of DMT release of the brain? But even then, you have experienced the thing that you say that you've experienced. I mean, and there could be a combination of all of those things there. Uh, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, this is called a mystery for a reason. But it really does strike me how many of these things there are and, and people can't be lying on that scale. It just doesn't seem logical to me that people would make these things up with no motivation to do so, no financial gain. They don't want to be popular. They don't even want to be known. And a lot of cases won't even reveal the names. So these things do go on. Unambiguous sightings go on on a daily basis. And the question then becomes what can you actually do with those witness accounts? Because it's difficult to verify anything, to take that to you know, a scientific investigation because you, you're just going off somebody's word of mouth. And I suppose that's why I gravitate towards things like Lou Elizondo's work with ATIP because that's basically what they tried to do is focus on specifically military cases with strong data density. Data density is a term that I first heard um, Hal Puthoff using and again it, it, it you know it stands to reason that if you're trying to verify things measure things and do scientific investigations you would focus on cases with the highest data density possible and it stands to reason that those cases would generally be military cases because they have a large amount of sensors and you know monitoring equipment at any one given point in time wherever they operate so if if there does happen to be a uh, incident with a UAP or UFO, you would be able to pick it up on on all these different uh, pieces of equipment. 
And the problem with the, you know, things like the mental phenomena, DMT, visions, uh, hypotheses, is that it doesn't stand up with a lot of these military cases. As I say, people argue that, and and, and I do think we have to consider those as, as possibilities. But it's not as simple as just somebody's hallucinated an object in the sky because some of these military cases, like got always go back to the Nimitz case, that was picked up on multiple sensor systems. And in the congressional hearings recently, it was revealed that a lot of these cases have got multiple sensor systems picking the objects up. So that can't be something that's just conjured up by your imagination if multiple sensor systems are picking it up. And not only that, in some cases, there are multiple witnesses that have actually seen these things as well. So it's a very complicated one. But as I say, without that kind of level of data density that you get with these military cases, it's difficult to really take it any further. So that leads me to the next kind of type of intriguing thing that I've been sent and that I've obviously seen online and whatnot as well that haven't been sent directly to me, which is the actual types of UFO sightings that have video. And we'll get into that in a minute, but just before we do, it's worth just kind of touching on another area of why is there not video of some of these very unambiguous sightings? Because the there is, and I this is a common sceptical argument put forward, and I do accept that this is the case, there is quite a gap between the number of unambiguous sightings reported and the number of footage uh, or, or data-dense cases that that have been uh, reported so why is it that there are you know hundreds of thousands of reports of very very unambiguous objects being witnessed but very very small number of actual uh, cases that have footage and um, you know uh, photographs or even better videos and even if there are videos a lot of the time they're extremely uh, difficult to determine what's actually going on there now there are a number of, of, of reasons that that could potentially be. I think the most common one that I have heard from people who've reported these unambiguous sightings to me is just sheer shock. You see a triangle the size of a supermarket car park right over your house gliding silently. It, it, it would be pretty shocking. And I accept that there's a sheer shock factor involved there, which would mean that you wouldn't necessarily go and get your phone. I mean, look, if you see a little light in the sky doing something a bit weird, you, you yeah, you're probably not going to be that blown away by it, and you might go and get your phone. If you see a truly unambiguous, enormous, silent black triangle over your house, that's going to be pretty intense. And, you know, I I find it actually quite convincing that the shock alone would, would prevent you from going and getting your phone. I suppose another way to look at it is that if something was so advanced as to be able to travel across the universe and arrive on this planet to observe humans for whatever reason, that's a whole separate question. But if something was sufficiently advanced to be able to get here, bearing in mind that I think in all likelihood, something that was able to get here and be a lot more advanced than humans is quite statistically unlikely to be a similar level of development to us because think about how far humans have come in a hundred years in another hundred years we're going to be doing things which seem like magic compared to us right now and what are the chances given how vast the universe actually is the sheer numbers involved what are the chances that another intelligence would have sprung up roughly around the same time as us and developed 
into advancement at a similar rate to us and just so happens that they're only about 10 20 years more advanced than us and then they arrive here and they're like wow unbelievable you guys are doing the same kind of stuff as us we're just a little bit ahead of you it seems massively far-fetched to me i think they're either going to be microbial life you know way behind humans in terms of um you know the advancement the evolution or they're going to be probably way more advanced than us. Like a thousand years is is just like a tiny droplet in in the ocean of time. You know, it, we could be looking at something that's ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million years, even a billion years more advanced than humans. Now, when you consider the advancements in human technology, the the capabilities that we will have in another ten, twenty, hundred years. The, the idea of being able to manipulate consciousness in terms of manipulate the human brain with electromagnetic signals and things like that to be able to actually manipulate what you uh, experience, that, that technology is advancing very rapidly. You know, there's already things like the, um, the little probes that have been inserted into the brain of a, a rat, which that can then control the rat. Um, and that's currently obviously a probe inserted directly into the brain and then stimulate certain regions to make the rat move left and right, basically like a computer game with a joystick. Now, obviously, um, a bit mor morally, um, ethically questionable, really, the experiments like that, and I'm not condoning it, but I'm just saying these things happen. They've managed to do the same thing with a beetle, where you can literally control a beetle with a joystick. So when you wear in mind that we're already working on ways to be able to actually um, manipulate thought patterns and, and um, be able to sort of control the actions of a brain of a, of a creature. Perhaps in the future, there'll be a technology where you can do that wirelessly and you can control what a certain individual is experiencing and, and project things into the, the consciousness of, of that individual and um, manipulate the reality that they experience. And, this sounds quite out there, but we're talking about a civilization, remember, statistically, based on the sheer expanse of the universe. If there is something out there that's more advanced than humans, there's a good chance that it's much, much more advanced than humans. And if that is the case, I don't think it's outside of the realms of possibility to think that they would have technology which it basically evades capture of um, you know, cameras and, and you know, pieces of equipment unless they want to be caught. I mean, if think about it, if they can get from one side of the universe to the other, you know, it's not that far-fetched to think they might have technology which basically sends out a field of some type which any any human consciousness caught in that field has certain actions restricted. Like you might there's many, many reports of, of people being frozen in fear and people being overwhelmed by feelings of love. And again, depends they're kind of opposite extremes, but People have reported these overwhelming sensations and almost like a, a loss of control of, of what their actions are um, during UFO encounters. And could it be that there's a technology at play there which actually limits certain actions and movements and overwhelms your senses um, while you're witnessing the thing, which then limits your ability to be able to go and get a phone? Now, Skeptics and debunkers would say that's a ridiculous hypothesis. It sounds like science fiction. Look, I get it. It is pretty out there. But at the same time, if we are dealing with something that advanced, I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to, to, 
to imagine that they may be doing and that is a potential way that uh, it, that could explain why there is such a gap between the unambiguous reported cases that are so common and the real rarity of good footage of those cases as i say that's just a few thoughts there as to why that might be now obviously of course some of these cases could be total bs and that is something you have to bear in mind that might be the reason that there's no good quality footage of the case because it's not real and there may be or there almost certainly is people out there that report things and for whatever reason they make it up maybe they're just trying to be a bit of a trickster maybe they've got some other motivation for doing that maybe they're trying to gain from it or whatever you know there will be knowing what human beings are like there will be some percentages that are like that but for me the sheer number of cases that demonstrate similarities between these sightings as well suggests that it's quite unlikely that 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 many people would lie and i don't know i just have a bit of a faith in humans that that we're not that bad you know there's no way that that many people could be deceitful lying individuals and especially when you consider like i said earlier that a lot of these people have no motivation to lie they're not they don't even want their own families to know about this stuff in some cases they're telling me because i obviously have an interest in ufos and they listen to the podcast and they go ah this is somebody who actually will care about my sighting and is not going to ridicule me so they tell me very interesting but having said all of that there are sometimes cases where there is footage there is a photograph or a video and one case that i wanted to go into is a case that was sent to me by a listener from glossop who again doesn't want to be named so i won't mention any names but he's confirmed to me that he's fine with me saying that he is from glossop and he has a pretty good camera um a very good camera actually in fact um, which is aimed at the sky to basically do sky watching and this particular listener had got in touch with me after um, basically uh, trying to send me good examples of prosaic explanation objects like some very unusual comets and um, you know some some pretty unusual stars and, and just things that you could look at in the sky that initially at first glance really do seem pretty amazing but when you actually figure out what it is, actually you realise it is just an ordinary object. But a lot of these ordinary objects do look pretty amazing, especially when viewed through a certain type of camera with the zoom settings and all the rest of it. And the thing is, is that I did a C5 experiment some time ago where I was basically looking up at the sky same time every night and trying to project my intentions and 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 hopefully see something in the sky didn't end up seeing anything but i did see a lot of objects and learned a lot about actually what is going on up there above our heads the whole time and most people just don't really sit and look and uh um that was about a year ago so it's quite some time now since that actually all took place um but during that time that's when this particular listener reached out to me with these examples of uh, of the footage and it was just great to be able to get those examples of ordinary objects that do look quite remarkable and this is even with a very very good camera it's not blurry talking about a very very good camera and after a little while of back and forth there the particular listener sent me a video of something that we thought was really interesting which was um, a perfect equilateral triangle 
going across from one side of the sky to another. And again, very clear. You could zoom in and you can see clearly that there are three separate points of light. And we had, bearing in mind with this same camera setup, multiple um, shots of planes which don't look the same. Planes generally have a certain light configuration with a flashing light. Usually, sometimes it's red. You can find online the specific flight, uh, you know, flight characteristics of, of planes and the types of lights that they have, and, and so on. And this didn't look anything like any of the planes that we had as a reference. And I thought, wow, this is this looks really interesting. But I can't just put this out on Twitter or something like that because. You don't, we don't actually know what it is and I've not done any any background work on this so let's actually check it and I mentioned this in a previous episode that I've just recorded as well about how the bigger picture is so important when it comes to UFO videos because we need to know all about where that video came from the camera settings the time the place there's a lot of information to go through and I basically if I'm honest, when I first saw the video, I did have an inkling that it was a plane. Okay, because it's a triangle. Think about it. You've got one on either wing, one on the um, on the on the rear tail of the plane. There is the possibility of looking like a triangle, and it was going across the screen. This particular triangle in that configuration. So if you imagine the pointed end of the triangle was at the rear, and it was flying with the two. Um, the two, the other, the the left and right kind of um, side at the front, and then the the rear end was the the single point of the triangle. Hopefully that makes sense. I don't know if I've explained that particularly well there, but you get the idea. So I thought it does kind of correspond to a plane, but having said that, it is looking pretty unusual compared to all the other planes that we've caught on the same camera setup so far. But what I decided to do was to actually use this as a bit of a uh, an, an example for myself really to get used to the process of really digging into the true details about uh, a ufo video so kind of an anatomy of a ufo video if you will and because it was such a clear piece of footage and i did have from this listener very kindly sent me all the information as to when where the angle it was pointed at i thought perfect example to actually establish this process for myself and I thought, having done all of this, I'll go through it with the, you guys, with the listeners, to see, so you can get an insight into the type of work that it really needs to be done to verify a video and do the due diligence for a video to, to verify it. So I think the, the first thing that, that I thought of was the five observables. So the five observables is basically, um, Lou Elizondo and others have, have put this forward, and it's uh, basically five particular characteristics of a video that determine whether or not something is truly anomalous so we'll go through those the first one is positive lift so the ability to be able to fly without any means visible means of propulsion or lift no observable wings tail or engines which could account for propulsion through the air now the trouble is with this particular video that I'm talking about is that you can't really determine any of that because it's at night and we're talking about a video where you can only see three points of light. So it obviously has the ability to fly because it's going through the sky. But does it have the ability to be able to do that without mean, visible means of propulsion or lift? Wings? We just can't see that from this particular video. The second observable is instantaneous acceleration. And this is 
does what it says on the tin. It's the ability for a craft to be able to reach a high rate of speed in a very short amount of time. And uh, again, looking at the video I was looking at, there wasn't any instantaneous acceleration. And if I'm honest, it did it did follow the the sort of typical movement of of a plane or some kind of aircraft. The next observable is hypersonic velocities. So a craft's ability to reach speeds of you know, approximately 3,700 miles per hour, which is five times the speed of sound, without emitting a sonic boom. Now, again, with my particular video that I was losing for this example, there was definitely no shown capabilities of hypersonic velocities. It did seem to be moving at a speed consistent with some kind of aircraft. The next one is low observability. A craft's ability to conceal itself from any kind of radar or become difficult to observe due to some kind of cloaking. Now again, nothing like that visible on the clip that I was looking at. It was clear three points of a triangle all the way through the, the, the movement of it going from one side of the screen to another. So straight away, we're not doing so well on the observable side of things here, are we? And the last and fifth observable is transmedium travel. And that is a craft's ability to move seamlessly between space, air, and water. And again, unfortunately, my clip failed the test once again because it, there is no transmedium travel available. It's just literally being shown moving through uh, the sky. So I think when you're looking at any UFO video, the five observables is a good place to start. Are we seeing something truly anomalous? Are we seeing an object going in and out of the water? Are we seeing an object that seems to be cloaking itself or is, is making itself difficult to actually uh, record? Are we seeing an object that moves at hypersonic velocities, at speeds that we can't explain um, an aircraft moving at, especially without a sonic boom? Are we seeing an object that instantaneously accelerates? Are we seeing an object that seems to be able to fly and maintain its position in the sky or whatever medium it's in without any kind of discernible means of propulsion or wings, uh, tails, etc.? Those are a good basis to actually look at. And if you want to check these out, by the way, the5observables.com does a fantastic job of listing them and giving examples as well as to how they actually could appear. Part of the reason for me doing this, by the way, is if anybody has got some uh, footage and you're thinking of sending it in, you can go through this episode, I guess, and do a bit of a checklist with me and see what you think about your video. And if it still seems to be truly anomalous after having listened to all of this, then by all means, send it through to me. And um, I think it's just a, a good work in practice, you know, with videos that I get sent. You don't necessarily have to have done all this, by the way. If you've got a video, you can send it to me and I'll be more than happy to do it if it's an interesting video. But I think these are just great things to bear in mind as to whether or not, you know, you can relatively quickly determine whether or not you're looking at something anomalous or something that's, you know, uh, an ordinary object that just appears to be doing something um, uh, interesting or anomalous um, uh, using this relatively simple checklist. And as I say, it's not until you really go through this process that you kind of get that full big picture. Anyway, moving on from the observables then, what would have been really interesting is obviously if you have a video that actually does display one of those observables, and then from there, you can really dig into trying to examine even more about it. As it happens, the particular one that I was looking at here didn't really display any of the observables as such, but still, 
it was interesting and I actually reached out to a couple of aviation experts I won't go into any names people might not want to to have the name uh, attached to it but I reached out to a couple of aviation experts who I know who know a lot about different types of aircraft and did they none of them recognized the actual light configuration as being something you would see on an aircraft and as I say it's very interesting um, the, the the light formation it just looks like a perfect equilateral triangle no, none of the lights blink they're all on solidly on and it didn't seem to match according to the people that I spoke to who were interested in aviation and different types of planes anything that a plane would have so even though it didn't show any observables I did still think it was very interesting and basically I also reached out to a couple of contact sources that I have people who have worked on be very careful what I say here but people who worked on extremely classified and, and sensitive satellite uh, technology and, and know a lot about satellites and these people uh, I had spoken to didn't recognize it as a satellite in fact they said it was too low to be a satellite so I was able to rule out the fact that it was a, a satellite it just looked like it wasn't um, high up enough to be in low earth orbit it was actually more likely to be something on the ground potentially some kind of aircraft or drone but then still had that lingering question mark of it just doesn't seem to match any aircraft as far as the the various different light configurations that that can that can happen so i decided to to really get into the forensics of it and go right maybe i've not done this type of thing before but i'm going to do it now so that's where the real homework began. So basically, I was able to determine, obviously I know the person where this came from. I know I knew the, the, the rough location of, of where the camera was and the angle that the, it was pointing, etc. And I knew the exact time and date when it occurred as well, when the actual piece of footage was taken. Uh, I was able to uh, determine, as I said a minute ago, the exact angle of observation of where the camera was actually pointed and the direction that it was pointing as well and the type of camera, the camera settings and um, observations about the weather conditions. You can go back and find from the time and date what the weather would have been like that area. And um, having all of that information was the absolute key to be able to get to the bottom of this particular uh, video and this is why I say if you've got that bigger picture information it really does help you to be able to get to the bottom of what went on because that's what we want to know isn't it like it's all very well and good seeing something that's tantalizing it looks like a triangle but is it a triangle that's what I want to know I want to get to the bottom of are we looking at something anomalous or not it's not really past the observables test there was nothing there that, that matched any of the five observables but it still looks a bit odd so let's get to the bottom of it so I decided to check satellite trackers, even though I did have that inkling that it was actually going to be a little bit too um, uh, low to actually be a satellite. I thought, well, let's just check to be on the safe side because things like the ISS, for example, the International Space Station, does look very unusual. If you've not seen it before, um, it's worth just having a look online at when you'll be able to see the International Space Station. It's really quite unnerving to see because it's clearly not a star. It's very, very bright in the sky. And it, and it moves across in a very, very smooth motion as it, as it goes over. And if you zoom in on it, 
uh, with your phone to the highest zoom setting and focus on it it looks weird like it almost looks like it's shape-shifting a lot of satellites and, and unusual things in the sky if you zoom in really really far even stars it can actually look like multicolored shape-shifting and i think sometimes people do post things like this on twitter and think that it's something genuinely anomalous it just looks weird when you zoom in on it ordinary objects can look strange i've got plenty of examples of this on my phone and things like that as uh day-to-day -day objects can look very very bizarre anyway so um satellite trackers there wasn't anything in that area and the international space station in particular um had actually already gone over about half an hour before the video was taken and it went again half an hour after the video was taken uh, roughly i've not got the exact times, but anyway i was able to confirm that it wasn't the international space station and it wasn't a satellite there are actually quite a few other satellites in shot as well. It's very interesting, the amount of satellites that are going on up there. I mean, in this particular shot, it's very, very clear. It's taken with a, a, a very high-quality camera. And in this particular um, footage, which it lasts about uh, 30, 40 seconds long, this, this clip that I've got... Um, you can actually see about five or six other satellites actually moving around as well all going slightly different angles and uh, yeah it's quite remarkable how much is really moving around up there at any one time uh, but anyway the one that that i was focusing on the triangle was confirmed to not be a satellite and not be the international space station check for um spacex launches that's another one that's very very um unusual looking and if you haven't seen one of those before very easy to think that you've just seen something truly amazing um and yet there wasn't any spacex launches on that particular date check star maps now this one doesn't really apply to my particular video because mine was clearly moving across the sky and stars as far as i know don't do that uh, so yeah, it wasn't a star in my case, but when you are doing a, a checklist of a video, always worth checking out the actual map the map of stars. And uh, there's a website called uh, Stellarium where you can actually go back and look historically at uh, any date and see what the star formation would have been look, would have looked like in any patch of sky at any given point. It's quite remarkable, really, technology that allows you to do this. So then um, the, the, the last thing, and the reason this ended up being the last thing is because I put this off because I'd never done it before and it seemed quite complicated. So at this stage, I'd reached out to a video analyst. Again, I won't mention who it was, but uh, quite a well-known uh, video analyst. Uh, it wasn't Mick West, just throwing that out there. <laughs> so, um, but it was a very well-known um, video analyst who looked into UFO stuff and he basically was kind enough to walk me through how to actually do um, a, a historic flight tracking. And I was able to actually go back and find the exact time and date and find on a map exactly the location and figure out the angle of observation, the direction it was pointed at. And as it turns out, there was a flight that went in the exact trajectory as the triangle object that I was trying to identify. So there it is. We finally managed to get to the point where we, we had identified what this object was. And it, like I say, it kind of confirmed my initial uh, suspicion that it, that it was a plane, some kind of an aircraft. But the problem we had was that it just didn't look like one from the reference footage we had of other planes. And 
I think the reason that it was was different was just because, and again, this is something that I've learned through doing this uh, bit of uh, homework here, is that some planes do actually have the ability in some cases to be able to actually change the light configuration depending on the conditions. So like if they're coming into land, if there's uh, weather conditions and things like that, in some cases, planes can actually have different light formations. Instead of having a blinking light, they can have a solid light so that they're more observable to other planes in the area, things like that. So I'm not exactly sure why uh, the perfect equilateral triangle formation of lights was being uh, displayed by the plane on that particular occasion, but it was, and um, I was able to confirm that in this case, it was indeed a plane. Further back that up by, um, you can actually hear on later on, on the recording that had been done by the camera, that a plane goes directly overhead at um, a certain time, which is like uh, 10 minutes after the, the clip that I was sent. And the, the listener who sent me it said, we could be able to verify this 100% if, if you can then find another plane that goes over at this particular time directly overhead. It wouldn't be in shot, but I can hear it on my camera. So if you can find a plane that's going directly over the house at that moment in time, then we know we've cracked it. Anyway had a look on the flight tracker and there was indeed a plane that goes directly overhead that accounts for that noise that is heard later on down the line um, on the footage not on the clip footage that i've got but after that and and there we go we've verified it 100 percent now and um, that it was definitely a plane so obviously a bit disappointing i would have loved it to have been an actual black triangle don't get me wrong but the point is with all of this is that that is the kind of in-depth analysis that is necessary if you want to prove something a hundred percent first thing obviously if you've got something those observables are a handy checklist to see if you've got something that's showing true anomalous characteristics if you have then it's even more worth doing all of that extra background work into um, satellite trackers, star maps, um, you know, international space station, SpaceX launches, and flight trackers. I, probably, really, if I was going to do all this again, flight trackers would probably be the first thing that I would do, because you know now I know how to do it. It is a bit of a tricky process to do, but now I know how to do it. It's definitely um, you know uh, the first part of call because obviously now I realise that planes can be. Um, you know, uh, different light from configurations of planes can show up. It's it's worth checking the flight thing probably first of all. And the actual website, by the way, in case anybody is wondering, is um, adsbexchange.com. Adsbexchange.com. And um, there is a, a way that it's a little, it's not the most user friendly because as you can imagine, it's probably not exactly that many people who use these kind of things. So it's for real, you know, flight tracking enthusiasts, this website. Um, but um, once you've done it a, a little bit, you get your head around it, you can go back to any date and you can find out the, the flights that were going over that particular point on a map at, at any one time. And you can scroll through time so you can set it to a specific time on that date and then scroll through and see how the flights actually moved over um, at any one point in time. Worth mentioning, just in case anybody does do this with any footage, um, one of the stumbling blocks that I had was that the time zone, I was thinking, well, how do I know if this is the right time zone? But basically, they use Z time, which is 
I had no idea what this was before doing this, but Z time is Zulu time, which is actually a military time zone, which exists outside of like daylight saving. And, you know, like in the, in the United States, they have various different time zones throughout the country because it's such a vast country. And um, whereas Zulu time is basically just GMT, yeah, which is uh, Greenwich mean time from here in the UK. But Zulu time never changes according to daylight saving and it's just a military time zone that is universal used throughout the world for military exercises and things like that so if you're trying to have a look on there and you can't figure out the times thing it took me a little bit to get my head round Zulu time is what they use that's why there's a Z next to the time and Zulu time is a universal military time zone so that's, that's how you would find out um, and uh, so there you go and um, as I say, I thought it was a really interesting little bit of uh, of digging that I, that I managed to do there. So I thought I'd, I'd go through it all with you guys so that you, some people might find that interesting. And I guess you've got a bit of a framework for your own video investigations if anybody cares to do so. Uh, obviously, some people already know all this stuff, but other people might have had no idea. So I, th I thought it'd be worth going through. And um, while I'm here, we're going to just talk about a couple of other little bits and pieces as well. Uh, about a couple of other cases because I thought it'd be a good opportunity to do that and um, just before we move on as well just want to say thank you very much to the listener you know who you are who sent me that triangle video and keep them coming hopefully I mean what I would love is to be able to get a video of that kind of quality with all of that big picture information of a truly anomalous object which shows some kind of anomalous movement we can verify that it's not cgi which by the way i didn't really have to do with this video because i was aware of where it had come from the camera setup and so on pretty confident that it wasn't cgi i suppose if something did have one of the five observables and was displaying instant acceleration and things like that there would be other things that you'd have to take into consideration like cgi and there are a whole you know there's a whole bunch of other ways that you would do that in terms of the artifacts of the cgi and things like that but that that's not an area of expertise of mine um but if something was displaying one of the five observables then that would be an area you'd have to delve into i guess that's one for a, another day really but as i say thanks very much to the listener you know you are who sent me that and uh, keep up the good work hopefully we'll find a real black triangle of flying over your house at some point soon eh see how that goes so yeah, another really interesting case then was one that I've just seen, which is basically a, a Dutch pilot, a KLM pilot, a commercial um, pilot of a, of a 777 jet, and Boeing 777 jet this is, and uh, the guy's called Mark Juk, I think I'm saying his name right there, it's Mark, M-A-R-K, and then J-U-C-H is his surname, Juk, I'm guessing, Juk, Um and anyway, I just thought it was one that I just stumbled across. And I just thought, since we're here talking about, you know, anomalous sightings and stuff, it'd be interesting to go into this a little bit. So um, it's actually an interview in Dutch, so I can't play the interview. But I'm going to play it in the background very quietly, and I'm going to read out the subtitles so you can hear the version of the account, because I thought it was really interesting, and there might be people who've not seen this. So um, the interviewer asks, Mark Juk, you fly on the Boeing 777. How long have you been a pilot? And he says 31 years. So he's been a pilot for three over three decades. Very, very experienced pilot. You had a sighting, and when was it? And he replies, it was 25 years ago, but I remember it as yesterday because it was so remarkable. I saw a blue flash shoot past our airplane. 
flash more like something the size of the moon or a bit smaller. It caught up with us. We flew with about 800-900 kilometers an hour, but this went two, three times as fast as our aircraft. You could say it was a fighter jet or the exhaust, but then it just instantly stopped dead from one moment to the next. And at this point, he's doing a, a hand movement in the interview where he shows it just shooting past them and then just stopping dead in the middle of the air and no slow down just from fast to stop instant. And he says, I can't say how big it was in reality. Distances are hard to estimate in the air, but it flew a bit higher than us. We were at about 34,000 feet, say 10 kilometers height. And this was estimated to be roughly 15 kilometers in height, to give you an idea there. But the most bizarre thing was that it rushed by and just came to a dead stop, stood still for a few seconds, then from the right to the left, then stood still again for a few seconds and then shot off on our left to the back and then we couldn't see anymore, of course. We were flabbergasted, literally. And speechless. I decided to talk on the radio. We have an inter-pilot frequency so pilots can speak among each other. So I asked, anyone saw that? And he received an immediate response saying yes. And he says that he feels the shivers recounting the story because he's reliving it, so to speak. But he's not crazy, and for him it was completely unexplainable. So it just goes back to what I was saying earlier. One of these completely unambiguous sightings of something truly anomalous by a commercial airline pilot 25 years ago uh, who had, you know, uh, by bearing in mind he's, he's, he was a, uh, a pilot for 31 years, um, but this must have been when he'd already been flying for, what, approximately five, five, six years, something like that. Truly remarkable. So it's like I was saying earlier, there are so many of these types of accounts, very difficult to explain them, but obviously without the footage of that, I mean, that would be one that clearly shows the, the five observables. If footage existed of that, we would be able to say that there's instantaneous acceleration. Um, you know, a lot of the, the observables would, would be would be present there. But without all of that background information, what can we do with that? It's a fascinating account, but very difficult to verify. And speaking of fascinating accounts, this is something that I've touched on a little bit uh, in the past on the podcast. I've just mentioned this one. Uh, I thought now would be a good time, since we're doing this little bit of a bit of a bonus uh, episode here today, uh, to actually go into it in a little bit more detail. Now, what this is is an absolutely fascinating account that I was told by uh, somebody who I'm not going to name the name of again. He's asked to uh, remain anonymous, um, but. Um, he has said that it's fine for me to talk about this on the podcast and to, to go through it. So basically, uh, this, this uh, individual uh, is from um, uh, Wittering near uh, Peterborough and actually worked at um, the RAF Wittering. And in 2009, uh, he witnessed something that is very, very difficult to explain. So he says he didn't report it at the time and he didn't really know where he would report it to or how he would go about doing that. Uh, but since he has done some sort of like digging into figuring out what was going on and there have actually been other similar sightings reported in Peterborough 
um, which is which is fascinating, and actually some on the same date as well. Um, and as we know from speaking to Max McCabe and uh, a few other bits of information as well, there are some quite interesting things going on in Peterborough, um, which do seem to indicate that there's some kind of a hotspot there, uh, which is definitely worthy of further investigation, I think. But anyway, going back to this particular account, one evening, this gentleman had walked out of his house just to go to the shop and uh, a very bright light caught his eye, which was hovering and slightly pulsating. So every now and again, it would move slightly right to the left and it seemed to go up and down a little bit also, but it was very slow. It wasn't an aircraft um, because he, this, at the time, this gentleman worked on uh, Harriers, RAF Wittering. Um, so he knew that it wasn't a jet hovering as it made no noise whatsoever. And if, if anybody's ever witnessed a Harrier jump jet, those things make quite a bit of noise. Uh, so he was confident straight away that it wasn't one of those having actually worked on these aircraft. Uh, after having been confused for a minute or so and just looking at it in amazement, it moved to the right very, very quickly. Some kind of light shone down for a few seconds and then it sort of um, it just stopped dead. And then at that point in time, he realized that he needs to get somebody else to see this thing. So he actually went and got his mum uh, and she also witnessed it. And after a few more minutes, it just kind of shot off at what he describes as a ridiculous speed and was gone. Now, he's been around the RAF, the Royal Air Force, all his life. He's worked on various aircraft, spent time in the army. And this gentleman can you know, safely say that this was not a conventional aircraft of any sort. Um, he spoke to people that he knows about it since. Everyone just laughs at it. A few other people in the village apparently had also seen it including somebody else that he worked with at the time and generally if he brings it up to any members of the family and things like that um, people just laugh and don't take it seriously which is obviously how a lot of these things go unfortunately so very very interesting and the problem is here is we don't have any footage we don't have the exact date and um, you know it's very, very difficult to do any of that investigation that I did with that previous footage that I was talking about. But in this case, we do have a completely unambiguous sighting from a person who is um, trained in working on aircraft and familiar with aircraft, um, what I would describe as a credible witness. And I've been able to actually verify the identity of this individual as well with with his help to verify that he is actually who he says he is and he, he did indeed um, work uh, on those aircraft and things at the time and is familiar with them and is basically what I would class as a credible trained observer. And bearing in mind that this person doesn't want to go public, has no... Um, you know, there's no interest in, in being famous from this or bringing the story forward even. But again, one of those times where somebody wanted to reach out and tell me about something truly fascinating that they'd experienced and it's an opportunity for them to share. So of course, I went through some different questions and one of the things was just regarding the estimated size. And he describes it as uh, if you would hold out a 50p at full arm's length, the size of that 50p um, is roughly what the size of it was as observed. And um, in terms of the distance, we're talking about probably a mile or so away. So there may be you know, somebody out there who can do the calculation there, but if you imagine something roughly a mile away and you're holding uh, 50p at arm's length, that's the, the approximate size that we're, that we're talking about here. 
Um, Shape-wise, it was approximately ball-shaped. The colour was kind of a dark orange and it sort of pulsated a little bit and when it pulsated, it went slightly more yellow. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier in, the, in this episode, um, there was no video and uh, this gentleman describes it as a, his biggest regret that he didn't get his phone out at all. Uh, it was kind of just like staring at it and just thinking in amazement. And it just didn't occur to him to get his phone out. And it actually describes one of the most interesting aspects of the, the light that actually shone out of it just before it shot off at a ridiculous rate of speed, which is very interesting. It does make you think, what 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 the purpose of that light being? Does it have any relevance to the fact that it shot off directly after the light shone out of it? Has it just detected something with that light and now it's decided it's got to go? Very interesting to, to consider. But again, uh, without having any footage of it or anything, pretty difficult to actually verify for sure. Um, but also worth mentioning as well that the there was no uh, sound. I, I did actually ask uh, the the gentleman whether or not there was any sound associated with this, and there was no sound uh, whatsoever. And also, was there any kind of a uh, like a temperature change in the area or anything like that? Um, there was no temperature, and so none of those things were were noted in this particular case. And uh, the gentleman himself didn't know anybody who worked in air traffic control or anything at that time. He was working in a separate department, so kind of kept themselves to themselves. But he does know that other people in the village saw the same thing as well. And um, people around the actual RAF base weren't necessarily talking about it, but it was kind of mentioned around people in the village. All very strange stuff. And um, also very interestingly, with uh, RAF wittering being in that area, um, apparently there is a no-fly zone for drones in the wittering area and also when you bear in mind that this is back in 2009 so this is actually um, way before drones were really as capable as they are now so the, the chances of that being a drone uh, are fairly slim to none and also the, just the sheer characteristics of the thing the instantaneous acceleration so very very interesting and I thought it was worth mentioning. So as you can see, there's been a number of different cases mentioned there today. And um, some of them have been very unambiguous sightings, but without the footage to be able to do the verification. Some of them have been you know, very, very detailed footage, but without any observables present. And they've turned out to have a prosaic explanation. The goal, the dream is to have everything in one i mean that's obviously going to be the smoking gun isn't it if you can find something that is verifiably acting in ways that we can't explain and not only that you have all of that bigger picture information there multiple witnesses you know very very high quality sensor data uh, you know multiple people saw the same thing doing the same everybody's stories all connect and work together then what you have is the Nimitz case, basically. But obviously, you know, if you were able to get the same kind of level of detail as that um, for, for a, a regular case, maybe a civilian case or another military case, that for me is when all the pieces of the puzzle actually fit together. Uh, so anyway, 
I thought it'd be interesting to try this episode a little bit different, I guess, to the format of, of the general episodes that I do, uh, just in exploring some, some fascinating things that I've heard and the processes that I've, I've gone through uh, to verify some of these things. And uh, hopefully you found it interesting to listen to. I will do... I was kind of going to originally call this episode Tell Me Anything. You may have mentioned... Uh, you may have remember me uh, mentioning that at some point. But yeah, it's, it's, it became more of a, a collection of, of interesting reports, really, rather than a, a, a tell me anything as such. So I decided not to go with that name for it. So not that it really matters, I suppose. But yeah, very, very interesting. And obviously, keep sending me the emails, people, because it's fascinating to hear about these things. As I say, it's absolutely blown me away, the, the level of um you know high quality witnesses that see truly unambiguous things and you know some of the incredible uh, accounts that i've been told by people who in my opinion don't really have much reason to lie and make this stuff up you know so fascinating to hear and i'll keep searching for that holy grail you know where we've got a, a fascinating account by somebody who seems credible and is verifiably uh, credible in terms of the background and we also have that kind of footage and perhaps even multiple witnesses that you can really dig into and get into those details and, and verify it. But anyway, hope you've enjoyed listening. As always, you can, if you don't already support on uh, Patreon, you can jump over onto patreon.com forward slash UFO thinker to support the podcast and allow me to keep putting out this uh, the content the way that I do without adverts, without disruptions and allowing uh, the listeners to have the best possible experience and uh, support on patrons, a couple of quid a month and you get early access and bonus episodes that are only on Patreon and things of that nature. So anybody who, who is uh, in a position to support, feel free to head over to their patreon.com forward slash UFO thinker and do that. And I really appreciate all the support that, that comes in. Uh, but I mean, the, the main thing is thank you for listening to the podcast because that actually really helps the podcast anyway. And that in itself is a way uh, of supporting. Always feel free to get in touch with me, especially if you've got some kind of really good quality videos or just accounts of your own experiences. Great to hear about. Um, it's ufothinker at hotmail.com or ufothinker at protonmail.com. I'm on Twitter as always at UFO Thinker. So if you are on Twitter, give us a follow on there and we can talk a bit more. I always try and get back to everybody's messages wherever possible. Sometimes it gets a bit hectic and I can't do, but um, you know, it's always great to hear from people. So uh, until next time, take it easy, stay curious. I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.